Happy New Year. I don't know if you're like me, but um, I'm incredibly grateful for a new year. I'm ready to just move on out of 2010, leave it in the past. Anybody there? Just like, stay back there. 2010 went out with a bang for our family. We were in Iowa uh, just for a, uh, to torture ourselves. <laughs> Nothing better to do but to stand in cold cornfields. We were there. That's where uh, my wife's family's from. And um, just for a bunch of reasons. But uh, we were there. And last Monday night, we were, we were going to celebrate my daughter's birthday. And um, we had this barn reserved in the middle of a cold cornfield in the middle of nowhere, Iowa. And so we had this big party planned. And we walked into this party. And 30 seconds through the door, there's this old pot belly stove in the middle of the floor. And my daughter's hand hits it and burns the right side of her hand. 30 seconds into her birthday party. Happy birthday. Um, fortunately, there was snow to put on it. Stuck her hand in a cup of snow. Consoled her for a few minutes. And then they came by and they said, hey, we're getting ready to take a sleigh ride. We have these two big Clydesdale-type horses leading us through the woods. And this snowy time is going to be gorgeous. And so we asked her, hey, do you want to go do that? Take your mind off of your throbbing hand and she said yeah let's do that and so I picked her up carried her my sister-in-law picked up my son we walk out the door my sister-in-law steps on ice and with my son boom falls and throws her back out we hop up on the it gets better we hop up on the sleigh we go for this sleigh ride that lasted for an eternity for some reason um, probably because of what happened to me about five minutes into the sleigh ride I start sneezing and my sneezes quickly turned to coughs. And my coughs quickly turned to my throat constricting. And I've never had that happen, so I'm trying to figure out what's going on. So the sleigh ride lasted for another eternity, and then we finally got back in the barn. And as soon as I walked through the door, people were like, what's wrong with your face? What are you talking about? My eyes, this one was just swelling almost shut. Had some kind of crazy allergic reaction, I guess, to hay. Um, <laughs> Guess that happens. Mark that off the list. Don't ever do a sleigh ride again. My son had a, had a minor, a less minor, but a similar reaction. So they got us out of the party about as fast as we got back. So then the next day, the next day, two days into vacation, my father-in-law, we're, we're out on the driveway walking there again through the cold snowy driveway. My father-in-law's on a four-wheeler. He does something, accidentally flips the four-wheeler, falls, breaks his clavicle, and the next morning was in a major surgery to get plate put in and all that kind of stuff. So needless to say, we're like, Happy New Year. <laughs> we would love to forget 2010. Lots of struggles, um, lots of challenges. Uh, but today's one of those days where I'm thankful for new mercies new grace, new beginnings. Some of you are at that same place where you're just hopeful that this new year would bring a new season into your life. I'm there with you. I just want to tell you I'm there with you. A few weeks ago, I was running at Discovery Park in Gilbert, and they've got this track that goes around, or it's not a track, it's a trail. It goes around some soccer fields, and, and there's what I would call a steep hill. And So I, I was going to run the hills and get some exercise, and so I start running up this hill, um, and, and I get to the top of it, and I turn around, and I notice that, that my shadow is, is cast down this hill because the sun is setting behind me. And it was actually pretty impressive. My shadow was like 40 feet long. So I'm looking at myself. I'm like, wow. 
like stomping on things like, man, look at, wow, I looked impressive. Run down the hill, get to the bottom of it, and I'm back to my dinky old, not quite six foot shadow. I'm like, wow, so impressive up there. Now I look like nothing. Did a little exercising down there, ran back up the hill a few minutes later, and the sun was even further down in the sky. This time I looked at my shadow, and it wasn't just 40 feet. I mean, it was probably like 60 feet. So naturally, I got out my cell phone and took a picture of my enormous shadow. But in the middle of me goofing off with my shadow, I felt like God spoke to me and said, sometimes you feel small, sometimes you feel strong, but you're basing it off the wrong thing. It's not about what you look like, what you can do, what you can accomplish. It's the power of the sun that God has created in the sky to create a shadow that's bigger than I could ever be on my own. It's the same power of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, living inside of us that gives us the strength we need when we are weak, that gives us the hope that this year doesn't have to be like last year, that in this year it can be a year of deliverance, a year of freedom, a year of victory. That is my prayer for you, that today as we begin this new year, as a church, as a community, we would see not with our own eyes and not through our own ability, but through God's eyes. We would see the race marked out for us. We would see the course that God has established for us to walk this year. That God would fill us with hope and God would fill us with grace. And maybe some of you are here and, and, and you're just ready to give up that today would be a second chance or maybe it's your 50th chance or maybe it's your 232nd chance. But today would be a new start. Could we just pray for that? And I invite you to pray with me and pray in your own words. God, today meet me here. God, today give me the fresh start. God, new mercies today. Just take a moment and in your own words, would you pray that kind of a prayer that that God would give you that kind of a fresh start today? That is our prayer, God, that today you would would reveal yourself to us, that in in this place and in the middle of our struggles and in the midst of our, uh, our own trials and our own insecurities and our fears and our failures and all of that, God, that you would meet us here and reveal to us that you are a God of second chances. You are a God of grace. You are a God who never leaves us or forsakes us. You pursue after us. And today, that if we could just grasp that Jesus Christ on a cross died for our sins out of the great love that you have for us. Reveal to us today your plans and your purposes. God, today be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Praise be to the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war. 
my fingers for battle. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not be terrified or give way to panic. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you victory. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Amen and amen. Scripture tells us over and over again that we're in a battle. Sometimes the language that is used is, is the language of warfare, military warfare. Sometimes the language is used is that of a boxer who is fighting a fight, that we're in a battle. In the middle of the battle, we don't just call a timeout, hey, wait, we'll just wait, let's take a break, recoup. In the middle of a battle, we don't turn and run. In the middle of a battle, we don't settle. In the middle of a battle, we fight. And we fight. And we get tired, but guess what? We still fight. Sometimes we get bloody and bruised, but we don't give in. We fight. And today I want to talk directly to those of you who call yourselves Christians. The rest of you can pay attention. You don't have to plug your ears. But, but I want to talk directly to those of you who said, I, I, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And I think even for those of you who may say, I'm still checking Jesus out. I'm still thinking through this. I think you'll be interested to listen in on our conversation. But, but I want to talk to you because in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul talks directly to those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ. And, and go ahead and grab your Bible and you can turn there. And, and in this passage, Paul is talking about this battle. He's talking about our life in the language of a battleground, not a playground. And so in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul gives us some challenges. He gives us some wisdom to think through. In order to set the context of 1 Corinthians 9, for us to understand what's going on, we have to understand that Paul is, is referring in, in many places here to the Isthmian Games. And the Isthmian Games are something very similar to the Olympic Games. And in fact, in ancient Greece, the Olympic Games were going on. But every year before and every year after the Olympic Games, the Isthmian Games took place. And in these games, um, there were some similar activities as, as to the Olympics. But it was more individual um, events and not the team dynamics that the Olympics often also have. And so in the Isthmian Games, there was boxing events. Uh, there were... Um, uh, track and field events. There was this event, I can never remember the name, it's called the Pancration. It's sort of a mix between boxing and wrestling, so I just like to call it MMA. So back in the day, they had the MMA going on, and, and all of these events were, were, were taking place. Um, and Paul, in light of that kind of context, is speaking to the, the Corinthians, and he's, and he's telling them that, that in many ways, like those who are training for the fight, those boxers, they train at a high level, high expectations, lots of sacrifice. I mean, they don't just eat what they want to eat like I do. 
They're training. Like those who are, who are training in track and field, and, and it requires hours and hours and hours of discipline because they're performing at a high level. Like those athletes, those elite athletes in the Isthmian Games. Paul gives a correlation to what it is to run the race of the Christian life, to fight the good fight of faith. And I picture Paul as, as a huge sports fan. We've got some sports fans here today, right? I picture Paul as a sports fan, and I think he's got the T-shirt, he's got the hat, probably the jersey. He's got the big uh, foam finger with the number one on it. Like, go, you know, he's, he's rooting, and in his seat as he's watching the Isthmian Games, he, he's seeing it through a, an interesting lens, and, and some of us have a similar lens. We see things, and we enjoy them, but we also have this... Um, we're thinking things like, how does that apply to my spiritual life? And how does, how does that work? And even in the midst of games and battles and movies, I, I do that to a lot of things. Paul's looking at these games and he's seeing spiritual correlations. And he says, just like those athletes at the high, high level of performance, those of us who are fighting for our faith, running a race to follow Christ, we need to be living at a level. We need to be committed. We need to be disciplined. So Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians 9. Uh, read with me there, starting in verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And Paul asks a rhetorical question. He says, do you not know that in a race, there's, there's all these runners that are running, but, but guess what? There's only one who wins the prize. All these runners are running in a race, but, but we all know that. There's not multiple winners. I mean, it's not like a peewee track and field event where we have to give every kid a trophy to make everybody feel good to not hurt their self-confidence, right? I mean, in a real race, everybody competes, but there's only one winner. Paul says, don't you know that? And, and, and Paul goes on, and in this analogy, he's comparing our life as followers of Christ, as Christians, to someone who's running a race, someone who's fighting a fight. And I'm convinced that every single one of us are running a race. We are fighting a fight. And that's evidenced by the things that we think about. Like when, when you're just, you're not trying to think about anything, but you're just thinking about something. That's probably the race that you're fighting for. The, the things that you talk about just when you start talking and it's just overflowing, that's the fight that you're fighting for. The, the things that drive you, that you're passionate about, that motivate you, that's the race, that's the thing. You're fighting for the, the things that stress you out and worry you. That's the race you're running. That's the fight that you're fighting. But the question that really troubles me is this. I would invite you to ask it yourself. Is what you are fighting for really worth fighting for? Is the race that you're running really worth running for? 
Because there's a lot of things that we could be fighting for. There's a lot of things that we could give our lives for. But, but the question that we have to ask ourselves, is it the right fight? Is it the right race? Is it something that really matters? Are the things that matter to me the things that really matter to God? The things that really have significance in life? Paul continues in verse 24, in the second part of that verse, he says, So run in such a way as to get the prize. The, the English doesn't necessarily get the idea that's conveyed in the original language here. The, literally, this verse would say something like, um, run that, that you get the prize. Run that you get the prize. But, but the English still doesn't get that because the you, the you is not singular, it's plural. So it's more something like, you all run in such a way that you all get the prize. But, but I'm from the South, so that doesn't really work for me. I like to say, it, the verse should say, y'all run... So y'all get the prize. That, that's really what's saying here. Y'all, y'all run together because this race, even though it's an individual race that, that I run myself, I don't run it alone. We run it together, corporately. And so Paul is saying, y'all run this race that y'all would win it. That, that the race of faith, the fight for faith that, that God has laid out for us is a fight that we all can win. As long as we run it the right way, not in our own strength, but in faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he says, run in such a way as to get the prize. Y'all. So if all of us can win. And there's something that happens when we run the race together. There's something that happens when we encourage and spur each other on. There's something happens when we live our lives together. Not just showing up on a Sunday and getting out of here as fast as we can. When, when our lives begin to rub together. And, and there's something that happens in me. When, when I see some of you, the way that you raise your kids. And some of the, the, the unique things that you do at home to instill faith and, and prayer and things like that in your kids. And, and it spurs me on and it makes me want to be a better dad and a better example in the home. And I hear about some of your marriages and the way that you love your, your spouse and some of the things you do. And, and it makes me want to be a better husband. And the way that some of you, your words are so encouraging and, and, and I'm challenged because we're running this race together and I want to run faster because you're ahead of me in encouragement. And I want to run and catch up. And that's what it means so that we all can be a part of this. And we all can win and impact eternity together. But he says in, in, in a normal race, runners run against each other. They're competing against each other. The enemy is the other runner that's right beside of you. But he says that the reality is in our race, we're in it together. We're not competing against each other. It's not you trying to see how you can be as much like that person as possible. It's not me saying, man, I wish I could play the piano and sing like Audrey. Or, man, I really wish I could punch the bag like Andy. It's me saying, what has God called me to? What is the fight that God has called me to fight? Now, there's an overarching idea that it is a fight of faith. It's a fight of trust in every aspect of my life where my life is not for my own benefit but for God's glory. But then there's also specific responsibilities within that. And the question is, what does it look like for you to win the race that God has called you to run? 
from eating that? How do you know if you've even been faithful? How do you know if you've accomplished what you've set out to do if you don't have a goal in the first place? And so I've spent some time these last couple of weeks just trying to think through for 2011, what is it I feel like God's calling me to do? Who is it I feel like God's calling me to be as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, as, a, as just a man? And, and trying to just say, God, I want to set some goals. I want to set some, some things in place to, to help me along the way, to challenge myself. Because just like a runner, just like a, an athlete, I, uh, goals are, are things that press us on and, and help us to be challenged. So, so look at this next part of the verse with me. Paul explains this a little bit in verse 25, and he says, Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Paul says every person who competes in the games, every person who, who is in this competition, and this word compete is, is a word where we get our English words um, agonize or agony. It carries that kind of idea that no pain, no gain. It carries with it the idea of if you want to do anything of real value, there's a cost involved. And Paul says every single person who competes in the games goes into strict training. I'm not really sure I like that idea of strict training. How about you? Anybody, is anybody a runner in here? Just Are any of you one of those crazy people who's a runner? Okay. So um, I historically have not been a runner. In 11th grade, uh, I probably ran my first three-mile event. It's because I signed up for cross-country. The reason I signed up for cross-country is not because I liked to run. It was because the basketball coach was also the cross-country coach. So you could get in his good graces if you ran cross-country, and it was sort of a fast track on the basketball team. So a little confession there. So um, me and my buddies who were the basketball players that didn't like to run, we had a plan. Wasn't a very good plan, but we had a plan. We said we're going to we're going to run cross country. So every day in practice, we'll start out on the track, and when the coach says go, we'll run as hard as we can, and we'll look like we're doing good, and we'll get to the front of the pack. We'll run as hard as we can, and then he'll be impressed. But then, as soon as we get into the wooded section of the cross country trails, we'll just walk and talk. Hey, how's what you got going on this weekend? So I mean, we would run as fast as we can. We would get a far as far ahead of the pack. I mean, we were we looked like we were starting off well. But just so we could get to the trail section, walk through the woods, talk, catch our breath, have fun, and then we would jog again at the other side of the woods. I, I thought it was a good plan until the first uh, cross-country meet came along. And I thought I was going to die from a heart attack and my lungs were going to explode and my legs were going to fall off. A few years later, four years ago actually, um, I had this great idea to run the Chicago Marathon. So um, I, I wrote the, the check or whatever for $100, and so there was no turning back. After I gave $100, I, I was going to run this no matter what. Um, so I went home and I said, well, so what do you do to train for a marathon? I should have asked that question first. So I went and Googled or whatever, and I got Hal Higdon's Marathon Training Plan. And it poured out day by day by day, week after week. Here's what you're supposed to do. And I thought, oh my goodness. Oh. But that's what I did. Day by day, week after week, for a few months. I went into strict training. Because 
it was an important accomplishment to me. And it was worth the effort. It was a goal. I really want to challenge you guys to be intentional in 2011. Not just go through the motions. Have a plan. I'm not even asking you to make resolutions. There's nothing wrong with resolutions. But I'm asking for something bigger. Would you be so bold as to pray that God would give you revelation of how he would like your life in 2011 to be? And not just make a couple resolutions where I'm going to eat better, but say, God, reveal to me your plans and your purposes for me in 2011. Let me dream God-sized dream. Let me attempt God-sized things in 2011. Not for our own benefit, but, but for God's glory. That second part of verse 25 that we just read, it says that the people who are competing in these games, they do it for a crown that will not last. But we discipline ourselves. We live our lives this way to get a crown that will last forever. In the Isthmian games, the, the prize, the crown, was this wreath of pine. Fancy, huh? That they, not a gold medal around your neck. It was a, a pine wreath that they would place on your head. I mean, it was insignificant. It was, it, it, it was just a symbol of the accomplishment of the fame. But what Paul's saying here is that that crown, very specifically, it will not last. The wood will rot or dry or whatever. It'll fade. But also... The fame from winning the race or from winning the fight will fade. And pretty soon people will come along that don't even know your name. That crown, that reward, that prize will not last. But if we're fighting the fight of faith, that we can be a part of impacting eternity and doing things that can last forever. Eternal consequences. Any baseball fans here today? All right, if you're a baseball fan, you may know the name Josh Hamilton. Josh Hamilton um, is a Texas Ranger, not like with a gun, but with a baseball bat. He plays for the Texas Ranger, and, and uh, he had just an unbelievable career. He's, uh, this, this past year, he, had, he, he is just a stud of a baseball player, and um, he's got a great story. Um, not necessarily great in that it's, it's always good, but he's got a, a roller coaster career where it looked like he was going to be a star, and then it looked like his life was falling apart because of addiction. And then it seemed like he got back on the right track. Then he had a couple of mishaps. But God has gotten a hold of his life. And God has given him second chance and third or fourth chance or whatever. But God has captured his heart. So October 22nd, just a couple months ago, um, the Texas Rangers win the ALCS. If I'm not mistaken, they beat the Yankees. Josh Hamilton is named ALCS MVP. So this is like the moment of um, the highlight of his career, the pinnacle achievement of his life so far, his, his great accomplishment. And um, on television for the world to see at the end of the game, um, he's interviewed and he gets up and takes the microphone and he just says, I want to give all glory to God and all praise to my Savior, Jesus Christ. It's just one of those moments as a believer where you're like, yeah. Um, you know, especially if, if you know a little bit of the guy's story, you, you sort of believe it. It's not like 
the music awards where every rapper or pop star or whatever gets up and throws Jesus out there. Like, this guy means it. It's legit. And this in his moment at the, the pinnacle of success, in his moment where, you know, he could just say, man, I've worked hard and finally it's paid off. He says, wait a minute, I just want to give all the glory to God and thank Jesus Christ. But then afterwards, um, there was a more in-depth interview that, that happened, I guess maybe in the locker room or something. One of the reporters came and said, Josh, can you talk about the lows of where you were and how far you have come? And then he asked, is this the top of the mountain so far for you? And Hamilton responded, well, it's not the mountaintop until I get to stand before my Savior one day. The biggest thing is giving glory to God. That's the reason I am where I am at this moment, at this very time. Our relationship with Christ, I mean on a day-to-day basis, keeps me on the right path. So like I said earlier, all throughout the game I was tearing up. Is this going to be it tonight? And thinking about where I was and everything I went through and how God was just faithful in how he brought me out of it all. At the time that, by worldly standards, he's being crowned a success, MVP. And he's given accolades. and People are like, wow, you're just amazing. I mean, you hit four home runs and seven RBIs in a, in a series where they tried to walk you most of the time and just a, a, a helped your team make it to the World Series. He says, wait a minute. It's not about this. It's not about this. This is not the mountaintop. This is not the highlight of my career. This is not what I'm living my life for. The mountaintop is when I stand before Jesus Christ. And he gives us this example that says, let's let's just put our lives into perspective. What's the fight that we're going for? What's the, the race that we're running in? If we were to win, where would we then be? Because this, by outside perspective would be it's all about baseball it's all about winning it's all about getting to that place of of prominence but he says it's not about that at all i could be the mvp and it could all be worthless because i'm not living for this i'm living for eternity the reality is the same thing is true for all of us that our lives have eternal consequences and we're not to be aiming for earth we're to aim for eternity And we're not to fight for things that that are going to pass away, but fight for things that have significance for all of eternity. And we're not to just settle to just say, well, my life's so-so, and I'm going to try just to be mediocre. But to press on, to make the most of every opportunity that we're given, and to dream God-sized dreams for our lives, to run races and fight fights that are worthy Because God has created each one of us to do just that. To run our race and to win what he's called us to. Verse uh, 26. Paul says, Therefore I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul says, I don't run like a man running aimlessly. I, I like just running around. Just I have a plan, a purpose. I've been given a plan. 
Emmanuel, not aimless. I don't, I don't fight like somebody just beating the air, shadow boxing. Shadow boxing is not really fighting. It's preparation, but it's not the fight. He says, I engage with the battle. But it's interesting to say how he fights. And one of the first steps of his fight is this, 27. He says, I beat my body and I make it my slave. Now, isn't that interesting to hear? I beat my body and I make it my slave. Why in the world would Paul say, in my training and to fight the fight of faith, to run the race God has called me to do, one of the first things that I do is I beat my body and I make it my slave. The reason he says that is because very often we are our own worst enemies. Very often we mess ourselves up more than other people mess us up. Not always. Please hear me say that. Not always. But a lot of times the struggles, the battles that we're fighting, they're, they're internal. They're, they're me not willing to accept who Christ says I am because I've got baggage I don't want to let go of. And Paul says, so I beat my body. Literally that word means he makes it black and blue. It's reminiscent of where Jesus is talking about if your eye causes you to sin, you know what you should do? Pluck it out. Oh, if your hand causes you to sin, you know the best thing you should do? Cut it off. He's saying it's serious. And it requires self-control and discipline to fight this fight. One of the first battlefronts is our own heart, our own soul. And Paul says the reason that he does this is so that after he preaches to others, he will not himself be disqualified. Because his life is full of too many opportunities to waste a single second. Too many moments of divine potential that he will not waste. And, and I believe God is raising up a generation. And, and my question is, are you going to be a part of that generation? A generation that says, we're going to fight the right fights. We're going to fight the good fight of faith. We're going to race, run the race that God has called us to run. Not the rat race that we often get trapped in. We're, we're not going to be that kind of generation that says, well, I'm just going to work really hard to get good grades so that I can get into a good school, so that I can get a good job that, that pays a lot of money, so that I can take my lot of money and buy a big, nice house and a big, fancy car or a small, fast sports car. And it's all going to fade away. None of it's going to last. But God is raising up a generation that's going to say, no, no, that is not what we accept. We are not going to settle. We are going to be like the Apostle Paul. And at the end of our race, at the end of our fight, we're going to be able to say like he said in 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So there's a battle going on. And God calls us to fight, not to run away. He calls us to engage, not to back down. But here's what you've got to hear today. 
Here's what I need to hear over and over and over again. If I'm fighting by myself, I lose every time. But if I fight in Christ's strength, the battle's already won. You get the difference. If I fight by myself, I'm going to be fighting, but I'm going to lose every time. It's an ongoing conflict. But if I fight in the strength that Christ gives, the Bible tells me the battle's already won. I've already got victory. Just a few chapters later in 1 Corinthians 15, we hear about this, that through the, the, de- the, the crucifixion, the death of Jesus Christ on a cross, through the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we've got victory. In his resurrection, he overcame death, hell, the grave. And it says he's already won the victory and so that we can be overcomers because he has overcome. And in just a few minutes, we're going to join together in taking communion. And in that moment, we're going to hold in our hands a representation of the body of Christ that was sacrificed for us and a a cup that represents the blood of Christ that was spilled for us. And in holding that in our hands, what I want us to remember is the victory is won. I don't have to fight for victory. He's already won it for me. But I can fight from a position of victory. And as I hold that cup and that bread in my hand, before you take it, and I want you to remember who God is. That he would love you enough to send his son to die on a cross for your sins. But he didn't stay in a grave. He rose victorious. And out of that victory, we can all be victorious through faith in Jesus Christ. And, and I don't know what you're looking um, ahead to in 2011. And maybe you're entering this year and, and the year is full of fear already. And you're only two days into it. But today as you hold that in your hand, I want you to remember God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Not because of who you are, because who Jesus is. Maybe you're going into this next year and you've just settled. It's another year, whatever comes, whatever. You've almost just thrown up your hands in apathy. And I pray as you hold that cup in your hand, you hold that bread in your hand, I pray that you would say, God, would you give me your dreams to fight the good fight this year, to run the race you've marked out for me. The Bible warns us in communion. It's just for believers. It's just for people who are following Jesus Christ. But even more specifically, it's for believers who are repenting over and over again. And we're not to drink from the cup unworthily. But first, we should just stop and say, God, search my heart. And if there's any sin, confess it and just say, God, I'm sorry. Pray that God would change you. This is a holy moment. Let's pray. God, we do pray that today you would be honored and that you would be glorified. And God, I pray for every man and woman here, every young person in this room, that we would understand the great cost Involved with your cross. The sacrifice that you made 
but it was a sacrifice of love. God, you loved us so much that even while we were sinners and in the midst of our failure, you still loved us and still sent Christ to die. I pray today, God, that you would open up our eyes to see the beauty of the cross, the victory that you have already won. And out of that, reveal to us the fight that you're leading us into, the race that you're calling us to run. This really is a holy moment, God. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. If we're full of fear, God, relieve our fears. If we're full of anger, may we release our anger to you. If we're struggling with addictions, God, set us free. In Jesus' name. So this is a time of worship, a time of reflection. And the ushers are going to pass out the elements of communion. And I just pray, make, make that seat a place of worship to God. And after a time, the ushers will come back and we're going to have a, a time of offering and our, our tithes and our offerings. And, and I just ask you, make that seat a place of worship, a, a declaration that this is going to year, be a year. I put God first. I, I, I give God and I worship Him in every way. And then sing with us the songs of freedom and the songs of the redeemed.